0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty, the only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. All right. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Of course, I'm always delighted to welcome my guest, Jennifer Menke.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: (laughs) Really glad to have you, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited for this one, as I am every single week. And of course, we always love to get the show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's great to to be here. Thanks for the invitation and for, for hosting this. Um, so I'll try to be succinct with how I got to be where I am right now. Um, but yeah, it really, for me started at a pretty young age, um, with being, being passionate about protecting the environment. And part of that was because of, um, a favorite childhood place that I would go to all the time being developed. And I'm sure a lot of people have those stories of, you know, having that deep connection to land and then having a developer come in and develop it. And so that really sent me on um, the just passionate path of protecting the environment. Um, And then, you know, when I got to college, I was actually really wanting to get into environmental law and kind of go that direction. Um, But I, I had just I did a study abroad and I had some really powerful encounters with different indigenous people. And then I went to Guatemala and lived with um, some Mayans for Mayan um, women primarily, studied with Mayan women and was there for about a month. And that really just opened up my eyes to um how much in the culture that I come from, people are just, they're not aware of their connection with nature. And when I was working with these indigenous people, I was seeing their relationship with nature was very different. And because of that, they were taking care of the environment in a very different way. They um, had this innate happiness as well within them, even though they were living, most of them in poverty. Um, And it really struck me. And so I came back from that, you know, with this theory that actually maybe the root cause of environmental destruction was due to humans' lack of awareness of their connection to all life. Because if, if we understood that connection to all life, then we most likely would not be destroying it to the point where it actually, because we would realize that destruction of it actually eventually would come back to harm us and our families, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. all circular. So, um, so then I, I also did, well, I also came back to Colorado and then, um, and then met an indigenous elder from the Taos Pueblo, um, tribe. And she really kind of helped kind of open up that door, in this area to connecting to nature, because then I was like, okay, if if that's my theory, then I need to understand how to connect myself back to the earth, you know, bring that awareness back and explore what that means, you know, and then, and then I I ideally would, would help others do the same. So, so I worked with her and then also met um, John P. Milton about 18 years ago and um, started doing these nature-based retreats with him and fell in love with with that process. And he he was an environmental activist and then had kind of the same theory of actually the root cause is, is people's, you know, lack of awareness of this connection. So he developed these these retreats where you teach awareness-based, and these are the sacred passages, you teach awareness-based um, practices to people and then put them out on a seven-day solo. In nature and then come back and they do this integration. Um, and so I, I, did this work with him and had some really profound experiences. Um, and so I decided to train with him. So I apprenticed with him for, and trained with him for over seven years. He's still someone I work with. Um, but in that training, I had to do 44 day solitary retreats, 25 know 28 day solitary retreats and what does that mean that was
0: solitary it means
1: like it means like being out in nature and staying in about like 108 foot diameter circle for an extended period of time so from like seven days all the way up you know i was doing 44 days so you can imagine like not hiking around not exploring just staying in this one place and and um, and meditating and you know wow. doing some of the practices that we were taught and trained, which you know was meditation. it was these sensing awareness practices, it was Qigong. And the purpose was really not only to kind of let go of, of um, our like to shift, I would say our consensus consensus understanding, of everything, you know? So it helped us to come into this much deeper state of awareness and to come into more of a non-dual state of connection with all that exists. Mm-hmm. And and to understand how our mind functions, because when you're sitting out there all by yourself, you start to really become aware of your, you know, how your mind works and everything and, and how it projects onto the environment. And you understand like how you create stories that, you know, are just kind of just spun from nothing. And, you know, so it's, you really get familiar with your mind and how your mind functions. And then you start to also resensitize your senses. So you, when you're out there and you're not bombarded by the static of everyday life, like your senses start to open up and then you start being able to understand and yeah, connect with a lot more because the sensory awareness is much more expanded and open. Um, so so anyways, like I, you know, I worked with John for a long time. I still do sacred passages with John. I still, and so eventually I started running, you know, retreats and leading these retreats for others to have these kind, kinds of connections and um, experiences. And sure. a lot of times people would go back, you know, to their lives and, and really create change in their personal lives, as well as their uh, work lives and, you know, and when there's that connection, there's also this profound love that happens. So when you love something, you tend to take care of it. And so when you have these experiences of, you know, your heart opening up this deep connection, there's a natural desire to take care of it. So people would go back and, you know, and want to take care of the earth. And, um, but I was also realizing like for a lot of people, it was, it was difficult to go back to their lives. And then you have these systems that have been created by humans, like the Mm -hmm. economic system, political system, all these social systems. And so these seeds would be planted in people, they'd go back. And it was so hard for those seeds to really germinate and grow because, you know because the systems that they went back to they were not kind of conducive yeah it's like soil you know the soil was not conducive for the seed to germinate and grow and so that's when i started getting into more of the external systems change work um and i really believe that we need to do both the internal work and the external and so i created um the nonprofit region of earth um i was also Nominated as an emerging global leader for the Academy for Systems Change and was brought into that fellowship. So they really mentored me. um, And they're made up of, you know, just some of these senior thought leaders of systems change, like Peter Senge and Otto Scharmer, and, you know, these guys that are really, um, really brought. The idea of systems change, I think, into the world. Mm-hmm. So, so I was mentored by them, started the nonprofit, and I did this retreat in Costa Rica and had this really profound vision that um, to help protect this ecosystem because it was such an important um, biologically diverse ecosystem, like the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica, where I would did the retreat holds 2.5% of the world's biodiversity. And like, it has 700 different species of trees, which is all of North America, you know, combined the trees in North America. It's in National Geographic, named it the most biologically intense place on earth. And, and I went out for a seven days solo in the rainforest and, um, and had this, then asked, well, actually I asked the reinforce, like, how can I get back to you? And I just had this profoundest message of like help protect it. And this white hawk flew overhead and it landed on this branch. And it was just, you know, this affirmation of help protect it. And the place where I was, there was a white hawk foundation, which was committed to conservation in the area. So, you know, the timing synced up where I entered into the academy. I started this nonprofit to house this this systems change work. And and so I started on a project down there to to do, to address, you know, some of the deforestation and the destruction to the environment and potential destruction to the environment as well as to address poverty down there. And, and that's a whole nother story, but that's pretty much like how I got into, you know, this work. And so now it's really, um, yeah, it's that weaving of doing the external, you know, systems change and internal systems, systems change
0: yeah also okay bad. <laughs> yeah yeah whoa <laughs> so what i want to say right off the bat is i love talking to like regenerative minded people like when i talked to phil Ta- taylor from mad ag and i asked him who are you and and what, how'd you get to be doing what you're doing he gave like a very similar like synodic uh response just like you just told your whole backstory and it's so amazing and it, it It vibes with me so much, but we're going to dig into like every little bit and piece of what you kind of just talked about, including Academy for systemic change, of course, regenerative earth. Um, But I guess where I want to start is like, when you say you had a vision, can you kind of explain that a little bit deeper? What does that mean to you? And I just wanted to clarify, are you from Boulder, Colorado, or where are you from?
1: Yes, I I was living in Boulder for about 20 years, but I'm actually currently residing in close mexico
0: Okay, but you're from Boulder, like originally, right?
1: Originally, originally, no. So I was born in Washington D.C. Sorry. Okay. Lived no in Bethesda, problem. Maryland. Oh, East moved Coast. to Lake okay. Arizona, and then yeah, and then spent high school in Upper Arlington, Ohio, and All then right. and then moved out to to Boulder for college.
0: Cool. um Yeah. So what what is what you say you had a vision? Uh, what does that mean to you? Can you explain it to people who might not understand?
1: Yeah, it was, um, well, when you're, when you're alone for seven days, like, you know, you're again, your mind and um, you can so say, you can enter into these visionary states. And so for that, it was, um, I would say it's, it's your intuition, you know, and it, and, and when you're in a deeply connected place, I think, I believe it's, it's your intuition coupled with the, with the connection, with the environment. So if you can imagine your mind and your body being not just separate, but being highly connected to a whole ecosystem, a vision can come in that is, I feel much greater than you. It's, it's, it's kind of coming through you, but it's something that is a communication from the whole in some ways. Um, I don't know how else to explain it, but, um, but yeah, it's really, um, seeing through more of a clairvoyant space, um, you know, either it can be visual or auditory or kinesthetic and, um, you know, and kind of having this intuitive insight, um, in whatever way it comes through, whichever sense, you know, it's coming through.
0: Yeah, no, very, very amazing. I always love to ask. I consider myself a very visionary person as well. Um, What I want to ask you real quick is when was the last time you visited somewhere like D.C. or New York City or like somewhere like Mexico City? And like, how did you feel compared to like these uh, these other like sacred passages that you've experienced? Like And then like plugging into like the natural Mm -hmm. world and then plugging into like the human built, you know, systemic cement stuff. Just curious.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was actually just in Mexico city less than a month ago. So, um, yeah, I have my ways of, <laughs> of connecting. <laughs> so I always try to figure out what is the avenue to, you know, have, have a route, have a connection. And it's hard for me to be in those environments for an extended period of time. Um, but for limited periods of time, it's, it's fine. Um, but I definitely, and it depends on what city, you know, and if you have parks nearby and all of that, I do believe that, and I work with people helping them connect with nature in city environments. So I mm-hmm. believe it's possible. It's just, you kind of have to work a little bit harder and, um, yeah, and you have to really filter out a lot of the static and kind of bombardment on the senses. But if you're coming from like a solo, you know, from really immersing yourself in nature, and then going to a city, it can be a little bit intense. Um, yeah, for, for so sure, it, it can be definitely a bombardment on the places mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to me how some people. Like I have a friend who's born in New York City, lived there his whole life. But he also, I used to go to summer camp with him and he would like run around in the woods with us for seven weeks and like have the time of his life there. Uh, it's crazy how we've created these, these built environments that are just completely unnatural to the way we used to live. And it's totally based on, I don't even know what it's based on, but we're not going to get into cities. I, what I really want to hear about is like, what is uh, your nonprofit, Regenerate Earth? What do you guys do? Like, what's the goal of the organization? Like all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the goal of the organization is really to, um, say to support, um, life, you know, the environmental and social just communities support the healthy future, you know, of these, of these really, I would say, keystone ecosystems, uh, globally. I mean, right now I'm pretty focused in the Americas and may stay that way, but it's really a global vision. Um, for enhancing, you know, the environment, continuing to support the health of these places. And, um, and then we do that through, um, three different modalities. And I kind of see it as the mind, the body and the spirit. So it's, you know, the, the mental part of that is really the, the, um, systems change work. It's, um, you know, being able to analyze the systems of an area effectively so that you can understand what the root drivers of dysfunction um, are, and then you can effectively choose the intervention points. And so it's similar to the human body. If you're, you're a doctor, you're going to want to know the systems in order to effectively diagnose it and then to treat it. Right. Um, so that's the more mental part of it. And um, and we have had to focus on more of the economic systems because that is a huge driver in environmental um, destruction and poverty and um, inequities in general. And so that is kind of a, a key lever to focus on. Um, and then the land kind of body part of it is, is more the, the land stewardship. So, um, you know, helping to protect land when it's needed, when it's under the threat of being developed, um, or, you know, polluted, whatever it is like, you know, effectively protecting those places and, um, and then also doing plans for stewardship for those places. And then the third piece is more of the spiritual aspect, which is, um, doing retreats. So, you know, guiding people in the areas that we work in, helping them connect with that land, um, also with the people, with the projects and, um, and some of the programs are focused on investors, some are with leaders, um, you know, so it's, it's really catered to the group that we're bringing in. And, um, and the purpose is, yeah, is to have, of that inner transformation experience but then to also experience what's what's possible you know by Mm. by meeting these people these projects and um, connecting with these environments and ecosystems
0: very very cool so let's talk about how this would work on a more like practical level can you explain how your like regenerative economy lab program works
1: Yeah. So with, um, so we're working now in several different areas, but I'll just focus on the OSA just to make it, um, kind of much easier to understand. But Mm -hmm. with the OSA, we, um, first were initially asked to. Is that the Costa Rican forest?
0: The OSA? Yeah.
1: I'm sorry. The the OSA Peninsula is in Costa Rica. It's in the Southwestern part of Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And we originally asked to convene the funders for um, this region so that there could be more cohesiveness and financing um, different projects for kind of this healthy future and my team decided we needed to do a systems analysis in order to understand if that really well in order to even do that work of of guiding funders right we needed to understand what was happening but we also want to understand what are kind of the what, what what does a community want? You know what what's their vision and and you know how can we understand what's happening down there better so that it can inform our actions of how we can be most effective. So we did a comprehensive systems analysis for the region. Um, it took us about nine months, and wow. we interviewed all stakeholder groups um conducted small workshops all of that and so it's it's most comprehensive from what the locals say it's most comprehensive analysis of the systems in the region to date and it um it really highlights some of the major kind of um barriers and you know to this regenerative future and then it also it also highlights this collective vision that we heard from every stakeholder group and that that vision is um is having you know a blue green economy that is really fed by these sustainable livelihoods and then that helps to provide more local income to the people and then the people because their jobs are reliant on a healthy ecosystem are incentivized to take care of the ecosystem and it creates this virtuous feedback loop where you have these sustainable livelihoods you know again that creates a blue green economy and that circle just keeps strengthening right and part of that vision came from there's there's a lot of poverty down there and Mm -hmm. um and actually the poverty was being driven by restrictions to the land you know and their conservation restrictions but it, it didn't allow the people to be able, like you can't have conservation alongside poverty because what that drives people to do is they will go and do Ill- illegal activities in order to make a living. So what we were, so like if you have a big national park and there's not much money from that national park going to the local community, and the local community is really poverty stricken they're going to go in and illegally hunt. They're going to illegally log. They're going to illegally mine. They're going to do a lot of lot more illegal activities. And if there's no enforcement of those illegal activities, you know, then, then you start to get this slow chipping away at the rainforest. And then there's, you know, the areas that aren't protected, which um, are, have the potential to be de- unsustainably developed. And that would just ruin... ecosystem forever right because this is Mm -hmm. just primary ancient forests and once that's gone that's gone you know it takes i mean that forest has taken hundreds of years to develop um and to grow and so you know you you cut that down and you're losing so much um anyway so you know, we had that high level vision and then we also identified what would be the intervention points to support this vision and to decrease kind of the size and the driver of, this, of these barriers. Um, and it's super, it's a very complex map. Um, but what happened from that is the, um, there was a territory that was formed um, for the Osa Peninsula when we were doing this work. And when a territory is formed in Costa Rica, they have a territorial council. And the first couple of meetings, the territorial council, they invited us in to do a presentation, you know, on, um, on the systems map so that it helped everyone come together around a consensus understanding of this, this is what's happening in the region. You know, this is the vision that we all are saying we have. And these are potential ways to support and actualize that vision. So we've been working with them, um, you know, to help support this vision. And right now we're, I mean, there are a number of things that have come out of this, but like right now we're working on a capacity strengthening program, kind of like an incubator for businesses and nonprofits and projects and supporting kind of these high impact projects and leaders that are going to, um, you know, help address some of these issues and also support sustainable livelihoods and, support this this region of vision and those projects mm-hmm. span they're they're across sectors so it's you know agriculture region of agriculture ecotourism um conservation um you know just uh healthy forest management um land acquisitions it, it really spans across um across sectors yes
0: mm-hmm. so re- regenerative earth is an American based organization, right? It was founded in the U S so yeah, how, yeah. how, how have you found like the locals responding to like a foreign entity coming in and trying to like help their environment any stories that stick out to stick out in your mind, have that, what's like the reception sure. been like, cause you're trying to take care of, of their land, but I, you're kind of, you're coming in with, with like your ideas. I'm just curious how, how the people are, are, are responding to this.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great question. So we're always invited, you know, it's always a pull rather than a push. Like I'm not going to push ideas on anyone, even the systems map that we it's the people's map, you know, it's all the information they gave us. We just put it into a sophisticated visual to help understand all the connections, you know, between sectors and, um, this capacity strengthening program, for instance, um, the government branch of rural development approached us about it being something that was really needed and they'd like our help with it, you know? So that's why we're doing that. Um, with other projects we're working on, we're being hired by, um, Costa Rican foundations to do the consulting work. So, you know, we're working in, in a couple of other areas. Um, but that's, that's by contract it's contracted work. So, you know. We're, we're kind of, like with the OSA, we we raise money for it because it's the local people who are asking us to do it. Whereas some of these other areas, it's these foundations that are from Costa Rica or from wherever we're working in that are asking us to help with this work. And it's because, and then my team is made up of um, of Latin, pretty much all Latinos. So I'm the only U.S. person. But we cool. also are, you know, like before when we did the map, it was Like we didn't partner with any big NGOs or, you know, and it was just, we just really tried to be neutral conveners. So it's really not about pushing ideas, but about listening and, and supporting, you know, what's needed with the expertise that my team has to, to offer. Um, Awesome. So it sounds
0: like the most profound experiences in your life have been these trips you've taken into nature or what did you call it like isolate isolation what were they called again when you're just alone in the Um, woods
1: yeah so um nature solos is what i call them Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So that's what you call them. So I, I wanted to ask you, I saw that you gave a talk about how to cultivate like a sacred relationship with the natural world. It, it seems to me like that that um sacred relationship has come to you through your personal experiences going out into nature. Is there any way that that we can do that? Let's say maybe we live in New York City or maybe we live in I don't know. I mean, I guess the you know cornfields could be nature, but like how, how can uh, individuals cultivate this sacred relationship with the natural world and get the respect to actually go out and then take action to make the world better
1: yeah it's a great question i mean it's um it's pretty simple (laughs) you know it's really just it's like any relationship right you have to give it time so for one it's not going to happen overnight secondly you you really just like even if you're in a city there are trees in cities there are plants you know there are there just even the air the element of air that's something that is natural right you connect with the sun. I mean, everyone connects with the sun. Like there's, there are ways to connect with kind of nature, these, the non-human influenced things. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and humans are part of nature too. I really see that, but I think, you know, just giving it time and just sitting with a tree or standing outside and connecting with the sun or connecting with air, and relaxing being present with it um, that's just a simple way to cultivate that and then over time um, it becomes really profound you know some of the experiences that you can have in nature and especially if you're going to the same place like if you're in a place where you're able to have access to a very natural setting to go there consistently and, um, and connect like you would a relationship to be open, to listen, um, you know, the, the environment actually starts to get familiar with you and you start to have closer encounters with, with species and, you know, and there's a strength too that, that happens internally where you connect to something much greater than yourself, you know, like we can get so caught up in the me, and Mm -hmm. our you know our immediate circle of friends or family whatever and this just helps you connect with something much greater and especially like even sitting outside at night under the stars you know like there's just we're just like these little specks of sand in the universe so um, amen yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: well jennifer i'm i'm with you i spent many a lot of my youth like climbing in the Adirondacks I have a very profound connection to nature but what I want to say is I just spent like six hours creating some Instagram posts and people will click through them and like we're in this like immediate gratification society and like the capitalism is like you know we've been conditioned to consume advertising and advertisements you have to if they say if you don't catch someone's attention in like 0.8 of a second like you can lose them so how can we kind of get someone who's grown up in that environment to connect with nature. But I guess what I really want to ask you is how can we like create conditions that promote environmental stewardship, but also work in a capitalist society or a short, short attention economy?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question because I mean, I even find myself having a harder and harder time staying out in nature for longer periods as technology progresses Mm -hmm. and i know it's because of that instant gratification um but it's so worth letting go of the technology and just stepping out and being in nature and um and also like calming your mind you know um i mean there's there's um like your heart opens and I can't ex- like you have to experience it to understand and I, it. And the I know where you, you go. Yeah. I mean, your heart just naturally opens and there's this joy that comes in. Whereas like when we're on, you know, our phones and we're trying to get, you know, we're we're completely subjected to like, oh, that person didn't like my posts and I didn't get enough <laughs> likes. And, then you have like a horrible day. And then like, you know, you have a ton of legs and you feel great about yourself and you're just on this roller coaster. Whereas like when you're, when you're out with nature, it's, it's um you're not subject to all of that. And you're able to just really be in this very, and it's super nourishing. It's, it's nourishing in a whole different way um, than technology. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create clickbait content that attracts people. And then I'm going to tell them to go do what you just said. Cause I've, I've seen both sides of the coin. Like I've like enjoyed like consuming like the crap, but then I've also, then I go for a walk at the park and I'm just like, wow, this feels like so much better. So it's like, you, you got to work with both. And I think that like a lot of companies aren't saying this kind of stuff. And I hope this message continues to grow, but I don't see any other way around it besides using the tools that are, are proven to work. But th- those are just my mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, I want to dig yeah, into like some, go
1: ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. You're like, I, I concur. <laughs> um, so yeah, what I- <laughs> What exactly. I kind of want to dig into is a little bit big picture now, like the difference between having like regenerative practices, like your organization is called Regenerative Earth. And I think what's like big in style right now is this sustainability, which is being able to continue doing what you're doing now without destroying. I love the idea of regeneration, not only um, perpetuating the current system, but creating, not even creating, utilizing the natural system that already exists that creates life, which creates more life and is a, an actual positive, positive feedback loop? Because we've got the, the positive feedback loop in, the, in the, the North that's melting all the ice, but we could create a positive feedback loop that creates more life. So why, why do you think we are so focused on sustainability and there's not much talk of regenerating the planet?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think it's really dependent on the circles that you surround yourself with. Right. So for me, I actually feel like the hype and the talk now is around regeneration. I I very, very rarely hear people talk about sustainability, but I think it's really, you know, who, who you're surrounding yourself with. And and probably for the most part um, there's more talk about sustainability than regeneration, but Mm -hmm. sustainability is I mean just in in the the word you have sustain right so you're sustaining life rather than with regeneration it's your you're supporting the regeneration of life and and nature regenerates itself right it's not um it it circulates resources and it's constantly growing and dying and there's this cycle that happens but there it's it's a regenerative cycle naturally Whereas when you're sustaining things um, for right now, it's not good enough, and I'm just gonna be <laughs> bold about it. Like, I mean, with the report that just came out a couple of weeks ago about the state of our climate, and that it's it's refutable that um, you know that humans are the cause of it, climate change. Um, to sustain what is happening right now is not good enough. It's it's not going to be enough, and we have to regenerate some of the ecosystems that we've destroyed. For one. Um, And we have to support the regeneration, uh, the natural regeneration of ecosystems that are still in a healthy state. And so, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I love the word regeneration, because I think it captures more of the natural cycles of things. And it's what we have to do um, in order to get, you know, the state of the planet in a healthier place.
0: Bless. Love it how can we use what we already know about the natural system to create a society that works for all the living things in the biosphere?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, so if you just look at the circulation of resources, um, I mean, there's nothing that goes to waste in nature, right? Everything is recycled, reused, repurposed. And, and, you know, and we, we design things to be, thrown away. Right. And we just think they're going to go away. And so that's a fundamental flaw in our design of products. Um, so right there, you know, just addressing the, um, the products that we create and, and how we can repurpose, reuse, recycle, regenerate, you know, just zero waste economy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even with, even with finance. So you see, you know, finance is being, being, I would say hoarded, you know, and different with different people, with different organizations and, and it's like water, right. When you, you create a dam with that and, and you're pulling the water in one area, but then that water is not able to go down the river to, you know, provide the nourishment um, to all these other species, right? And they're detrimental impacts that, that dams have. Um, Colorado River, for instance, you know, it barely makes the, the Gulf of Mexico or Gulf of California and or reaches the Gulf of California. And it's, and it's super damaging to all the ecosystems downstream. And so when you have finances that are pooled and dammed in certain areas, you know, then it's not providing the nourishment to the rest of life. Right. And so just the, the capacity to not be so greedy and to not be hoarding so much and to allow finances to flow more freely. That's another way that would mimic nature, you know, in terms of just resources flowing and, um, yeah, but I think that, you know, just the the idea, the biggest thing honestly is is the creation of of products and even building houses. Like all these things that we that we create and not having that that vision of how it can be recycled and reused, you know. Mm-hmm. Um because nature doesn't do that. Everything is repurposed. Everything has a purpose. Um whereas like we design things that we just think will well, it hasn't in life. It's very linear. You know, we design it; it's no good anymore, and then we throw it away. But that's not how nature works, and so that's how we're really screening things out. In sure. That sense.
0: Yeah that that analogy is was very interesting for me as I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to think about how would I incentivize someone who's damming the water and hoarding all the water or the wealth to themselves to, um, you know, ch- change and like actually do something more natural, which is sharing resources with everything. I mean, people hate the idea of communism or and socialism is growing in popularity in this country, but obviously we try to avoid politics as much as we can on this show. But what that got me thinking <laughs> of is another question. Yeah. I try my best, uh, you know, with climate, I'm trying to focus on like the, the economic, okay, I try to focus on like the economic solutions to climate, Change, but you know, it's we inevitably end up dip, dipping our toes into certain things. But that got me thinking of another question I wanted to ask you: Is how do you see the idea of g- regeneration as similar to something that I'm like a school of thought that I'm completely obsessed with? With is which is this idea of enlightened self-interest, which is always considering others before yourself is the best way to serve yourself at the deepest and most fulfilling level. Now you know diehard capitalists will make think I sound like a moron but I've been now been living this this motto as who I am for for like a couple years now and I can easily say I'm the happiest I've ever been so I just wanted to see how you could kind of relate the way I think to like the idea of like the way you think with regeneration
1: yeah yeah I think it's a great philosophy and um you know, and one thing you have to be careful about with that is, is just making sure that you don't take care of other over oneself. So it's a both and right. Like, uh-huh. but thinking about others, you know, and doing and supporting others, but also thinking about self, right. And supporting yourself, like your yourself has to be also a part of that equation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's, it's super, um, yeah, it helps us get out of our, of our kind of, me, me, me mentality. Right. And it's the same. It goes to nature, like taking care of nature and, you know, knowing that that will benefit oneself in the long run, but again, like not doing it to the extent where you're actually harming yourself because yourself, you are part of of nature as well. And you also need to nourish yourself too. So it's, it's just, yeah, being, kind of, um, supporting that whole, supporting the whole, you know, inclusive of oneself is sort of my philosophy. And I think what you're saying, and it, it does bring a lot more happiness and joy, especially when people appreciate it, or, you know, when you see the the benefits of it too, you really directly get, oh yeah, you know, this does support me in the long run as well.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping that the ideas can appeal to to the normal person, but I know for a fact I have this this servant leadership personality, so that's why it obviously works for me really well. But I yeah. mean, I'm just trying to be an example. Like, I I really believe that that being in service to others is what makes you the best version of yourself you can possibly be. But anyways, that's those are enough sure. of my my. Let's go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, totally, totally. I I really, I, I, I agree with that too. I really agree with that too. I mean, it's um and it's humbling when you do that, right? Yeah. It's incredibly humbling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming mouth, yeah.
0: Coming from the mouth. Yeah, coming from the mouth. Yeah, we got a little lag here. Coming from the mouth of of two founders of organizations. I mean, you know, obviously we both <laughs> are into that. I just, I really, I, I try to relate this show as much as I can to the average person who might not live in Boulder, Colorado or, or be able to go out and see and see nature like as intimately as you and I can so that they can have a role in this, these challenges that we're facing. Uh, Yeah. Which is a great transition to ask you, how do you think a typical person can support like regenerative land stewardship or regenerative practices in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just starting with themselves, like actually taking the time to make that connection. And then if you have land, being able to learn from the ecologists and the like learn about the land from an ecological perspective, also learn like what's the history of the land, you know, like who are the ancient, who are the, the ancestral tribes that, that lived on the land? What's the history, what happened, you know, and um, and just, just like you would a relationship with a person, you know, like enter into that type of relationship with the land and, and look at what, what can your role be to best support the overall health of this place? Um, and I've been getting, I don't know, I'll share this, but I've been getting really into the rights of nature movement, which is a whole other kind of, um, fringe uh, thought, but it's actually something that, I, I mean, it's not so fringe. It's something that indigenous, their perspectives of land, you know, so it's kind of ancient thinking, but it's also something that's catching wind now, but just looking at nature as not something that you own, you know, and that you are, that you are able to do whatever you want with, that it's a resource that's disposable for you. You know, that, um, and so shifting the mindset around like this nature, this tree, this, these species, they have sovereignty and they should be free, you know, within, I mean, and, and you're basically someone that has been given or inherited or bought or whatever it is like, you know, stewardship, guardianship of this place right? And you rep- you can be the representative of this place, but, but that land really needs to have its rights respected. Um, and it's a really, it's an interesting concept because we don't, in our legislative system, there's no such thing as, as land not being owned. Like land has to be owned by the government, by people, by corporations, whatever it is. And so there's no such thing as returning the deed of land back to the land so that it has its own standing, right? State, state parks? System, no,
0: state park. I guess it's owned, by the, owned by the government.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, but so in the court system, if, a, you know, an animal or a piece of land can't just file a lawsuit, you know, if they're being polluted, if they're being harmed in some way. And so it's this whole new concept of, uh, around how can land have sovereignty and have kind of representation, um, you know, in the court system and legislative system. And it's happening all across the U.S. and across the world. It's getting written into um, local municipalities, into um, country constitutions. So it's it's a growing movement. Um, but I think if you're going to be working on regenerating your land, starting first with your belief around your relationship with the land and kind of looking at and inquiring about what rights are you going to honor, you know, that your land has, like what rights of the land are you going to honor and how are you going to be a good steward and guardian of it to support its health into the future as you would your child, you know?
0: That is amazing. And I love the the thirty by thirty and the fifty five fifty proposals to protect as much land on earth as possible seems like a really awesome solution to a lot of the problems we're dealing with. I think there is this,, uh... I don't want to know if it's called school of thought, but I, we, we, we come from nature. We're not separate from nature, but there are those that believe that humans are superior and that they're above nature. And we definitely have this role where we are the stewards and we, get, we are going to decide what's going to happen. Like we're in the Anthropocene now. We are in controlling the system. And something I was thinking about at the beginning of this podcast, when we were talking about the responsibility of someone who's in control of a system or in control of the environment, is I'm thinking of like the Lion King, how like when Scar kills Mufasa. And then 10 years later, you go back and pride rock is completely destroyed because he's just sitting there eating all the food. So I just, I see <laughs> that as very similar to the way we're treating our planets. So I hope we can do better. Uh, last couple questions. Just wanted to ask you your opinions about the role of nonprofit organizations versus like large for-profit institutions when it comes to fostering either regenerative policy or environmental stewardship.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I mean, I think that they serve different uh, purposes, right? Sure. So nonprofits really, um, really are designed like the, our work in the OSA. You know, like we we need a nonprofit to be able to raise funds because the people there don't have the money to to pay for some of these things. You know, and and so. The nonprofits really can be a vehicle um, that can be, in, you know, an incentivizing vehicle for some um, to to move money to places where where there's not really um, money, right? And to support land conservation, to support um, social well-being for some of these communities, and then the for-profit role, um, I mean, is really about you know, it's really about having some sort of service or product that people, that people buy and they purchase. Right. And there's, there's a role for both of them. And I think that the, the for-profit, for-profit organizations really need to, um, analyze, like what is their environmental footprint, you know, with the service, with the product that they're offering and, can they ensure that they're not extracting so much that it's, it's, it's um, contributing to this imbalance on the planet right now? You know, can they, can they look at how their products and their services may actually help to regenerate the planet? And I think that there are ways for all corporations to be able to, to analyze that and to change their practices so that they are moving towards a regenerative future rather than, um, being in this kind of this, you know, place of just extracting, extracting, extracting in order for their own personal gain. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. They're just taking, taking, taking from the earth and they're benefiting profiting, but then, but then, you know, the earth is actually the one that's suffering and that's going to in the long run affect everybody. Totally. Um, but they're amazing corporations and business for-profit businesses that are doing incredible work. And they, I think they have, that's a key leverage point in creating the change that we need is through corporations and businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And Jennifer, it's been so delightful to talk to you today. I love how you found like something you're really passionate about, but what's really more interesting to me is that you fostered a really profound connection with somewhere you had never visited before in your life. You you went to what is it called o- o- Osa? Was it in, in Costa Rica?
1: Osa Peninsula, yeah. Uh-huh. And you just in knew you're like,
0: I need to work on this. This is a place that needs my help. I I love people who have a calling and just follow it. So that's why it's been really cool to talk to you today. Final question is just, what advice do you have for other people who are passionate about leaving this planet uh, better than they found it?
1: Yeah. Just know that, um, that you can do more than you think you can. And I think if you have vision, you have passion and purpose, like you really can move mountains, you can achieve almost anything. Um, and so it just takes, and then, and then don't give up, you know, there's so many challenges and obstacles that we have on the road. And, um, and if you believe in something, you know, just keep persevering through and some of the most successful people are able to, to stay in it long enough when a challenge hits, until it shifts and you're able to go through, you know? And um, yeah, and I think just, you know, continue to connect to nature because there's tremendous guidance and wisdom and creativity that emerges when we're in a deeply relaxed present state and, you know, infused in nature. Because yeah, I mean, we, we calibrate to nature when we're out in those wild places. And it helps us to open up, to be relaxed and this creative life force emerges. I mean, that's why some of the best designs are in nature, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, so how can you tap into that (laughs) to get smart and come up with solutions? Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: that's awesome. Yeah. The best ideas come not when you're doing a million things at once, but when you're very present and you're just kind of letting your mind connect to the world around you and all your experiences. Jennifer, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I really look, enjoyed the yeah, podcast thanks. a lot.
1: Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation. But yeah, I enjoyed it's, it a lot too.
0: <laughs> it's been an honor. All right, everybody. And of course, we will see you next Thursday. Have a fantastic weekend and peace out. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA, and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.